this day in 1964, the Supremes started a two-week run at number one on the US singles chart with that track, Where Did Our Love Go?, the group's first number one. Holland Dozier Holland had originally composed the song for the Marvelettes to record it. They rejected the song, but they regretted that. I don't know, Stephen, is that your kind of sound? I uh, Yes, I very much like that sound, and... Um, well, I, I was a bit young for the Supremes, but I mean, uh, seen Diana Ross in her later career, uh, you know, uh, yeah, very much. Nikki, how about you? How can you not love that? It's such a great oh, track. I know, and it just conjures up that image too, doesn't it, of those beautiful, beautiful dresses, you know, the mid-60s dresses that the Supremes had. They were so, so well-styled and well-dressed. It's just a beautiful look. Mm. Still love it. Stephen, you asked earlier, you were interested in our listeners' views on uh, the employment situation, and uh, Helen's got a question for you. I thought I'd sneak it in here before our interview. It's all very well, she says, bringing people into the country to fill the job vacancies, but where are they going to be housed? We have so many homeless living in garages and cars. Uh, what do you think? So this is uh, the change up to the, um, to the uh, working migrants, yeah? That's right, and I think that's a very um, rational and sensible question, actually. Where are they going to be housed? And clearly, uh, it's a bit, uh, the, what we're looking at is a much larger um, picture of needing to uh, house all the people we have in our, in our country. And, um, uh, you know, we've got to have, we have to work on it a bit more. But having said all of that, we can't have, uh, you know, um, major enterprises not being able to get um, workers. You know, we've got... Um, uh, orchardists who haven't got pickers. We've got wine growers that can't find harvesters. We've got cafes that can't find um, uh, workers. So, uh, uh, you know, no no magic wands, but um, uh, we have to um, uh, try to plug those gaps. Another bit of interesting uh, feedback too I want to slip in here from Jeff saying, look, anyone whose property is badly affected by storm damage and landslip should get independent legal advice. Uh, he says, we had a property in Nelson a few years ago that the council and EQC assessed as being unstable when it actually wasn't. They can change the land status and suddenly you've lost all value. Be very careful, he says, what you agree to while emotions are running high. Sounds like mm. good advice. I mean, it's complicated, Nikki, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't actually know uh, that what Nick said earlier about there being national insurance for landslides. I never knew that bit of information. That's pretty interesting. Was, that was good. I, I, I was thinking, uh, Lynn, you know, also about our conversation on the, uh, the, the, the Australian-owned banks. I certainly hope uh, the Australian-owned banks do make um, uh, profits. If banks don't make profits, your economy is going down the road. But anyway... Maybe the government they could be using... They are eye-watering profits, though. <laughs> well, well, You yeah. know, when you're getting very little well, for your savings, it does hurt. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that's the, the, main, um, the main driver. But anyway, um, uh, you know, government could spend some of that $2.1 billion on fixing up some of our creaky infrastructure or, um, or indeed um, thinking about how to solve the housing problem. Uh, I think that, in my view, that would be a much better use of the money. Thank you. We'll bring you back in in a second because now we're going to turn our attention another thing to worry about, house prices. After a boom time for real estate agents with record high house prices and demand far exceeding supply, Infometrics forecasts a substantial drop in their take-home pay. We're talking about a decline of around 20%, which uh, it says uh, given the current rate of inflation would feel more like a drop of 30%, and there's no sign of these commissions heading back up in the near future. Uh, data shows the number of house sales in the quarter ending June 30th was down 32% compared to the same period last year, uh, dropping from 22,973 to 15,689. With me now is Infometrics Chief Forecaster Gareth Cannon. Kia ora, Gareth. Good afternoon. 
we're not wanting to get too far down the statistics track. I know you love them. Um, but what's the, what's the situation as Infometric reads the tea leaves? Look, basically, you look at the real estate market over the last um, one and a half to two years, and the, the incomes that have been being made have been unusually high because of the surge in house sales and prices that we saw in the wake of the first COVID lockdown. Um, so although those numbers are not looking particularly positive for real estate agents going forward from here, we do also have to understand that just the strength of the market over the previous couple of years is pretty unprecedented when you look back at um, numbers over the last decade or so. Yeah, the value of sales, sorry, more statistics, people, uh, fallen from $22.5 billion to $15.7 billion, uh, between the quarter ending June 30th last year and this year. I mean, the sort of things I'd been hearing was, you know, the prices are still pretty good, don't panic, but that's a substantial amount of money, what, $7 billion? Yeah, it is. That's right. I mean, most of that drop has been because of the volume of sales rather than prices. But nevertheless, this is a substantial correction in prices that we're seeing occurring at the moment. Having said that, you look at you compare prices even to two years ago in some of the uh, worst performing regions such as Auckland and Wellington. They're still up um, around about 20% in both of those regions compared to where we were in mid 2020. So, you know, housing is still unaffordable, and um, you know it is the sales volumes. When you think of real estate agents, it is the lower sales volumes that are really hurting them at the moment. But when we hear about a drop of 20%, if that's coming off a high, are they still making a pretty good living? Look, it's relatively good, although I'd have to say when you look forward at our forecast of sales volumes over the next few quarters, we are still expecting them to weaken a bit further from here, uh, given what's happening with interest rates and, and the raises that are coming through from the Reserve Bank here, to the point where we are looking at sort of commission uh, levels being probably below historical norms over the next few quarters. Um, we saw a massive increase in the number of agents um, between September 2020 and March this year, up about 13% as more people were drawn into the market. And the reality is, as those volumes and prices come back, there's simply not the activity in the market to sustain that many agents. So we are expecting um, some of those people to exit the industry as times become tougher. Well, that said, I think you make the point in your information that an awful lot of people trained for a career in real estate in 2020, 2021, you know, those, those crazy chaotic years uh, because it was a very hot market and they could see great opportunities. I mean, do we have an idea of the size of the increase of the workforce? Yeah, it was up about 13% over an 18-month period. Um, and, and to give you a point of comparison, when we look back into the sort of previous boom in the, the mid-2010s uh, there, I think the, the fastest rate of growth we had over an 18-month period in agent numbers was around about 9% then. Um, so it was running at about one and a half times the sort of rate of growth we had uh, back in through 2015, 2016. So yeah, quite a lot of people being drawn in with the sort of promise of um, you know easy money or you know big big uh, commissions to be made there. Well, Stephen and Nikki, I'll bring you in here. You're in um, Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. Very huge, monumental house prices up there. How how are you reading the situation? And any sympathy for a real estate agents who are going to be doing it rather harder now than they have over the last few years? Well, in, in the interest of full disclosure, my son-in-law is a real estate agent, uh, and I know how hard they work, uh, the good ones, and um, what a disruption it can be to family life. Uh, but um, I think this is the contraction in the housing market, or the correction, I should say, the correction in the housing market that we have been uh, trying to get for some time. It's painful, 
Uh, it's going to hurt a lot of people, uh, and um, not the least of which uh, real estate agents. This is about riding the rough out with the smooth. Hopefully, the market will you know, restabilize. I think this is the time for people who are selling houses to really put in the effort to find a very good agent and to make them work for the money. Not a lot of sympathy for uh, your son-in-law. Oh, there's poor real estate agents, as this <laughs> listener. Let's set up a relief fund for them. Well, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure my son-in-law would shine in a difficult market. But, um, you know, uh, th- 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 this is what we have wanted to see. Uh, this is what needs to happen. So, uh, I mean, I, you know, sympathy, uh, I have sympathies for everyone who's in distress, you know, like the Australian bankers. <laughs> this is a cyclical business, though, isn't it? I mean, anyone who's been in the real estate game for any length of time knows that it go, the market goes up, the market goes down, and they have to be the good ones, as you say, know how to ride that out and know how to work hard to get the sales even in a rough in a rough patch. And My the, other, the and ones her, not, who are not successful maybe make this opportunity to go and retrain in yeah. another area, right? All these people who've opportun- you know, opportunistically come into the market when the prices were high, well, you know, a lot of them are going are gonna to fade away, aren't they? But the ones that do the work are going to keep going to stay around. My sister and her husband just bought a house uh, on Friday, actually. I'm so happy for them because they've had such a long search for a house in Auckland. And, you know, their agent was really, really good, mm. understanding, caring, hardworking. He worked really hard to make the sale go through. And there was goodwill on all sides. And that's those are the kind of people, I think, who thrive, you know, in, in that kind of strange business that is real estate sales. Well, Gareth, listen to that. I mean, the housing market, I think, last slowed significantly 2017, 2018, more recently than I recalled, actually. Um, how does the situation now compare with then? Well, it's a much bigger slowdown now. We look at um, sales back at that point in time, and uh, they fell around about 20% over in uh, a sort of 18 months, 18 to two, uh, two year period. Uh, this time around, we've already seen sales drop 25%, and we suspect there's still more more drops to come. Um, prices uh, five years ago, they sort of went sideways rather than really falling to any significant degree. So this is looking much more like uh, the period back in 2008, 2009, when the global financial crisis stuck, struck. Unfortunately, we don't have um, numbers on real estate agents back then, but it does suggest to me that the, the drop-off in the number of agents we're looking at now will be bigger than the uh, 5% drop we saw through 2018 and 2019. Yes, well, I was going to ask you to crystal ball gaze. You love that, don't you, when journalists, <laughs> journalists ask these sort of questions. But certainly, you know, reading uh, your release, no relief in sight for the real estate agents, and that might mean also for uh, sellers uh, who had perhaps slow to sell their uh, their houses for the next, what, until 2024 maybe? Yeah, I think most forecasters are predicting that house prices continue to decline at least through until the middle of next year um, with a a lack of buyers in the market. And that does reflect that there is still more interest rate rises to come through from the Reserve Bank yet, which could see uh, some of those mortgage rates push up a bit higher. I know know over the last couple of um, months there has been a little bit of an easing there, but I suspect it's a little bit too early to call the peak on those rates yet. So until we sort of see a clear downward trend starting to appear in, in mortgage rates, I would expect you know, buyer numbers to be pretty soft and, uh, and that to be reflected in sales activity as well. Are you seeing big differences, big variations around the country? I mean, here in, in Wellington, I think we've had a bigger drop than some other places just because I think they were overvalued um, so ridiculously here too. But what are you seeing? Are, are there... You know, big variations, or is this 
effectively nationwide? Yeah, look, it has typically so far been the biggest schools in Auckland and Wellington because that is generally where the most expensive housing has been and as interest rates have lifted from the record lows that we saw uh, in the middle of last year, that has simply meant that people haven't been able to borrow as much money or service as much debt as they could when we had mortgage rates starting with a two. Uh, but having said that, look, across the rest, rest of the country, uh, sales activity is down as well. It's not quite as sharp yet, but typically what we often see is that the slowdown does uh, often start in the main centres and then sort of tend to ripple out through the rest of the country. So uh, I guess my message would be for some of those other provincial t- uh, areas and towns that, you know, you maybe haven't escaped everything yet. Um, so, so you know, keep, keep an eye, eye out for what those trends are showing through. Kaikite Infometrics Chief Forecaster Gareth Kiernan. It's 14 minutes to five. Well, with near record low unemployment at the moment, is now the time to be asking for a pay rise or pushing a bit harder negotiating the terms of your new contract. You might not be comfortable with the process. Well, Adam Shapley is a managing director of Hayes NZ, the global recruitment company. He's with us now. Kia ora, Adam. You're it. How are you? Well, thank you. Look, before we get to your advice, negotiating can be intimidating for a lot of people. So this is going to be a much harder process for others who are kind of excited, you know, and energised <laughs> and go in there ready to, to fight. Absolutely. It's not an easy d- discussion to have for anyone, is there, to negotiate for yourself? But is this the right time to go hard, if you like, given the employment market? You know, there are a lot of job vacancies out there at the moment, a lot of ads, employers desperate to fill them in many cases. And, of course, you've got the blooming cost of living that's making life so miserable for so many people. So, as I say, is this the time to to negotiate and and go in there, you know, full of fire, a fire in your belly to get the best possible deal? Well, I think it's, it's definitely a good time to do it but to do it sensibly, you know, we, we did a survey which came out in, in May and nearly 90% of employers intended to increase salaries at the next review. So the, the appetite from most employers is there. And there's, there's probably a few, there's a few steps to take to, to make it as effective as possible, which I can, I can take you through some tips if you'd like. Yeah, please do. Let's start with number one, which I think is prepare your evidence, which sounds eminently sensible. Go in there prepared, right? Yeah, that's that's probably the key thing, right? Demonstrate to your boss why you deserve a pay rise. Have some evidence. Look at what you've achieved. Achievers against your objectives. Look back at your last performance review or your original job description. And for each accomplishment, try and tie that to the resulting benefit of the organisation you work for. For example, if you've, you've brought in 15% more business or done something which has saved the business money, in particularly in, in today's world, there's a good reason to, to justify a pay rise. Supported by that is to look at what the typical market salaries are. There's a lot of tools out there. You know, we've got one on our website which you can look at what a typical salary is for, for most jobs. Job boards have that sort of data available. So you can assess, okay, am I getting paid what the market is suggesting I'm worth? Which, again, is, is some really important evidence. Another piece of your advice is keep your composure, which I think is very <laughs> sensible, actually. I think it is. I think, less as, as you said, it's probably not the best way to do it, to go in with lots of fire in your belly, is to go in and, and remain professional. So, you know, do it the right way. Ask for an appointment to review your salary. So 
So everybody knows why the meeting exists. Don't you know, ambush someone at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Be professional, present your reasons and the evidence. Don't expect an answer and be comfortable that that person probably needs to go away and consider, review, talk to others and assess. And at the end of the meeting, let them know that you'll follow up with an email and send the, an email to your boss detailing what you've discussed. And that's probably the key. So it, it, you've got a written record of the conversation, so there's no room for confusion. Adam, one thing I've noticed talking to uh, my, my other friends of a certain age uh, who, who are now going for jobs is that a lot of the jobs advertised or when you go in, you'll be asked, what do you think you're worth? I mean, back in the day, you'd get perhaps a salary range and that was pretty open. But I, that's quite a, a difficult question. You know, do you go too high? Do you go too low? What are the tactics from an employer who does it that way rather than being up front in terms of a salary band? Well, I think that's, that probably falls into sort of a, a your typical negotiation tactic is, is don't be the first person to, to give a figure. But, you know, the right answer to that is, is probably just to be honest and, and go like, this is where I'm at at the moment, but this is what I would like. This is what I think I'm worth. But you've also got to then be prepared to negotiate, you know, and be comfortable with what you actually want out of this and, and be clear what the role that you're going for, if it's an interview scenario, what they're wanting to pay. You know, it's all very well to go, like, I'm, I think I'm worth this, but if the organisation that you're on interview with is going, well, this is what we pay these types of roles, there might be a discrepancy and you might rule yourself out of the job. There's a little bit of scepticism, Adam, I'd have to say, coming in on the text. The true way to achieve a pay rise is to change employers. Current employers will never pay you your true worth on the job market. Well, that sounds like the voice of experience. <laughs> um, Stephen and yeah. Nikki, I'd really like to bring you in here. Stephen, you know, from the business point of view, I don't know, is advice out there being given to employers who really need employees at the moment uh, but would rather not um, pay higher salaries? Well, I think in the environment in which we're working at the moment, uh, a lot of employers are looking for a lot of people, uh, and they are very well aware that that is going to have an impact uh, on uh, the amount of money they have to pay. I mean, we hear anecdotal evidence of of sign-on bonuses of different types in different industries, um, perhaps um, a little more in some you know overseas markets than here in New Zealand, but the day is surely coming when that is going to going to happen. So I think the conversations that you're talking about. And I wonder if Adam agrees with this. Are not exactly unexpected. Uh, now is the time when people are going to be having these uh, conversations, and I think that's a lot of very good advice. Of course, employers do have access to a lot of advice as well about market trends, about what's happening uh, um, in the market, about how much you know comparable jobs are being paid. That's hard for individuals to get. Well, well I mean, can you explain for me that that um, that idea I mentioned before about not having a salary? You know, you're sitting down. This is a job that you really want, and you're asked basically how much are you worth? And there'll be personality types, you know, that undersell themselves. That's a little bit the Kiwi way often, and and others who will go high, anticipating they'll be negotiated down. Yeah, and women tend to go lower too. Yeah, they really documented. do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, would you how would you react in that situation, 
Nick, I know you're you know, kind of self-employed, yeah. but, but what, what, I mean, how would you approach it? It's a long time since I've asked for a pay rise, and it's a longer time since I've applied for a job. But I always thought that the best time to kind of maximise your salary is when you're getting hired, right? Would that be right, Adam? Rather than trying to negotiate a, a pay rise sometime down the track. Look, I think in, in markets such as this, further, to, you know, the, the, the text are saying, you know, moving jobs will give you a, a pay rise. In a market like this, absolutely, that is correct. But I think what, what we have seen and what is unprecedented at the moment over the last year is when people go to, that they do that and they're really moving for a for salary increase, invariably they will get what they would get elsewhere when they go and hand their notice in. So I think if you really, if you like your job and you're happy, go and have a conversation with your, your boss first. But that fallback position is, if I, I really want this and I know it's out there and I'm going to go and get it if I don't get it here, that's a, that's a potential. As long as you're clear, that's the fallback position. That would be the path of least resistance, I think. That's pretty bold, though. You've got to be prepared to walk away. You do. You do. Yeah. And Nikki, I think one of the other things you might be finding this uh, too amongst your cohort is that, you know, the feeling used to be uh, among women that once you're over 50, you were effectively unemployable, right? And I've, I get a sense that's really changed now. And employers, whether they like it or not, are now looking more towards older and inverted commas workers, and that includes women. Um, yeah. So, I mean, how do you feel women in the situation could approach it? You don't have to put your age on CVs anymore, <laughs> thank goodness for that. But, you know, you want to go and be, be confident uh, in your skills and what you can offer to an employer and not kind of put your head down and be pathetically grateful for whatever you're offered, right? Absolutely. Well, women, uh, menopausal women is the largest the fastest growing demographic in the in the global workforce there are there are you know there's going to be twenty five percent of females in the world are going to be in that sort of uh, early fifties late forties early fifties age group um, by twenty thirty so so this is a huge huge cohort of people who are at the peak at the height of their knowledge skill and power in the workforce so so it's really really a mistake of any employer to discount older women in particular and i don't think there would be many now who who do um, hallelujah do, yeah i know hallelujah right but it does it is still a concern for women because for many many years and generations we have been sidelined as we've aged unlike men who tend to be promoted so it's a, it's a there's still a little bit of that anxiety amongst women I think to speak up and advocate for themselves in the workplace when they when they're getting older um, but we need to get over it we need to actually acknowledge that we are at the height of our at the height of our power just as men are Stephen, I wonder what you think of this text. In, in my son's department at his work, everyone was given a $30,000 increase in salaries to stop them leaving and well, going overseas. Well, there you go. They don't mention the QED. employer, unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe they'd like to you know, text me later um, with the name of the employer. And it says also my husband, who works in the vehicle leasing industry, knows of people that have got a $25,000 to $40,000 sign-on bonus yeah, um, yeah. to stop them going. I mean, that's that's. Substantial wow. money, isn't it? That's substantial money. And um, I, I just think at this time, good employers are looking for really great staff and they do not want to lose people. Mm. Uh, and so it's the time to have the conversation and to have it along the lines that Adam has so, um, I think, helpfully lined out uh, for all of us. Um, in fact, 
maybe I'll go and look at my own situation now as a result of this. <laughs> yeah, Can maybe you I'll give me Adam's number afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, actually, I was talking to a friend the other day who, who retired early, but she says she's thinking about working just because there are so many jobs out there um, to choose from. I mean, Adam, are you hearing about those kinds of incentives? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in, particularly in, you know, really skilled short markets such as technology, marketing, sales, the construction space, you know, uh, organizations at the moment are doing everything they possibly can to, to hire and to retain good people. Mm. And do you get a sense also just what we've been talking about there that, uh, you know, older workers are not the, um, the, the drag perhaps that they used to be seen as? You know, there's a disincentive to take older workers. Let's take younger, cheaper workers and let's, you know, wring them dry before they go overseas. I mean, again, what are you seeing in the industry? No, no, I, I think, I mean, if you look at the situation we're in it's i mean it's the right thing and those sorts of attitudes are becoming less and less thankfully but with three circa three percent unemployment and and hundreds of roles organizations if they've if they're mature and and sensible they're generally hiring for potential or aptitude to learn the role because there really there are very few people who will be able to do the exact role that an organization is looking for at the moment so you have to Thank you and, so I, and I guess a younger person, you know, it's, it, it's attitude and an effort that you're looking for. And um, I guess in the uh, COVID, you know, through the COVID period, we've learned that there are all sorts of different ways of working. That's exactly All sorts true. of different combinations and mm. permutations. Exactly true. Uh, Our which, time is against us. I'm so sorry. We have to come back to this conversation. It's so interesting. Adam Shapley is Managing Director of Hayes NZ, Global Recruitment Company. Thank you, Adam. Also, thanks to my panellists today. I've been talking to Stephen Jacoby and Nikki Bazant, and also to you for listening. Lisa Owens here with Checkpoint after the news. Join me tomorrow on the panel. Lynn Freeman signing off for today.